Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning's gospel reading is one of those that makes it kind of hard to say at the end of it, this is the gospel of the Lord. After all, we all know, and we learn this in our confirmation instruction, that gospel means good news. Does that sound like good news to you? Not really, does it? Uh, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered like this, meaning that Herod had slaughtered them and mixed their blood together with their sacrifices? No, they weren't worse, but you too are going to end up like this, right? You all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, but I tell you, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. Kind of harsh words from our Lord Jesus, not things that we're always accustomed to hearing and listening to, this idea that Ezekiel spells out very clearly. That was a hard reading to listen to, not not because of length, but because of this, if the righteous person turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he will perish. And there's a variety of different traditions within Christianity that have this teaching of once saved, always saved. Are you familiar with this teaching? It's common among Baptist churches, but the idea is that once you're a Christian, nothing can ever change that fact, and you are absolutely set and safe and secure simply because you prayed some sinner's prayer or something like that. It's not as common as it once was, but this idea that the righteous could turn from his righteousness should give us a moment for pause. You too will likewise perish. So when we say this is the gospel of the Lord, what do we mean by this? What do we mean that this is the good news of Jesus? Well, in another sense, the gospel of the Lord is not just the exact words that came out of Jesus' mouth in that particular reading, but the way that Jesus himself fulfills everything that he says and he has fulfilled everything that he has promised. So he launches into a parable in this regard. There's a man who had planted a fig tree in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Now, I don't know if you grow figs, fig trees around here, do you? It's not a very common thing. That's a hot weather thing. More Middle Eastern. Well, in California, Amy's mom and dad at their house in Orange, California, had fig trees in the backyard. And let me tell you, they make a mess. <laughs> The figs fall all over the yard, and wouldn't you know that dogs just love to run around and pick them up and chew them up and make a big mess with them all over the place, right? Now, a Newton is just a Newton, but a cookie is just a cookie, but Newtons are fruit and cake. Do you like fig Newtons? In the Middle Eastern world, the the context of where Jesus is telling this parable, figs are a big deal. Figs, and the other one is dates in that area. In Indio, California, you can get a date milkshake. I was told, you're going to love it. You you have to try a date milkshake. And I drank it, but not exactly what Western tastes are looking for. So you can really insert whatever kind of fruit tree you want into this parable, and generally it still makes sense. 
A man planted an orange tree and came looking for oranges. Or a man planted an avocado tree and came looking for avocados. Well, keep in mind, that takes at least 10 years to produce. And that came seeking fruit on it and found none. What would you do in that scenario? If you've got a garden, you've got a limited amount of land and space, and there's a tree there that's just not producing any fruit. What does the landowner say? The vineyard owner says, why should it be using up the ground? Again, we ask the question, does this sound anything like gospel to us? If you look around in the church, you got people all over the place. You could say in a way that the church is God's vineyard, and he's planted all sorts of individual trees in here. So it sounds scary to think that if we're not bearing the proper fruit, what are we going to do about it? Should you be taking up space in a pew? I wonder this myself sometimes, you know. Are you bearing fruit where God has planted you in this pulpit? And if we continue to evaluate the words of Jesus as some sort of law or commandment, we're always going to come to the same conclusion. We don't produce enough fruit. We aren't good enough, strong enough, smart enough, holy enough, pious enough. Whatever adjective you want to insert in there, the answer will always be no. And so I'd like to offer you this morning a different interpretation of this parable. Now, I've mentioned this in the past, and I don't mean to offend any of the big Disney fans in the congregation because I live with a bunch of them. But Americans, when they read anything, tend to have what we call Disney princess syndrome. Meaning, we all, whether men or women, boys or girls, all believe that we are the main character in every story. If Jesus is telling a parable about the fig tree that's not producing fruit, Well, boy, howdy, I better work harder to produce more fruit. We hear the story of David and Goliath, and we immediately think that we are David, and all of our problems are Goliath. But I would like to offer you a different way of reading Scripture, especially the parables of Jesus. And that's something I call the Christological interpretation. Jesus himself is the one who is planted and who bears fruit. He bears enough fruit for the entire vineyard. And when you think about what it means to be planted too, how do you plant something? How do you plant a fig tree? Well, figs produce seeds, and they're planted in the ground. The Lord has mercy on us is the point of this parable. Let it alone. Who is the one pleading for this poor, forsaken fig tree in our parable but our Lord Jesus? Because he knows something for sure. He knows that he is the one who will produce fruit in you. Now, I really had high hopes of figuring out a way to make a manure joke in this sermon without being offensive. (laughs) And I just couldn't do it, so I'm not going to. Let it alone this year also until I dig up around it and put on manure. You see, when it really boils down to the whole thing, we are like the fig tree that doesn't produce fruit. There is nothing that we possibly have to offer the wine, dre- the vine dresser, the, vi- the vineyard owner, God, or the vine dresser, His Son Jesus, 
We're not producing anything that he needs. But somehow, in his mercy, he has patience with us. And he himself is the one that tends all of these trees. Imagine having an entire grove full of fruit trees that don't produce any fruit. That's the kind of gardener that Jesus is. And he comes in and he prunes them and he tends to them and he cares for them. And all of the fruit that they then produce is not a result of their own works, but a result of his. Until finally, <laughs> in a weird twist of fate that no one could have possibly expected, the vine dresser himself is planted in the ground and is there in darkness and death. Jesus says this about other seeds elsewhere. Unless a grain of wheat or a kernel of grain falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So you are not the one that produces the fruit. Jesus is the one that produces fruit in you. He who was also buried in darkness and death and rose again victoriously, producing enough for all of us. You see, that's really what every time the Bible talks about fruit in our lives, it's talking about the love that we show toward other people. When it really comes right down to it, it's not a result of our works. It's a result of God's love and action in our life. Jesus' tender care for things that have no business being cared for, but yet he loves them anyway. In his mercy and care, he has produced the fruit on our behalf, and you will bear it to those around you. So in this season of Lent, we often get caught up in the penitential nature of this. That's even the reason that they've selected the color purple, because purple is always associated with suffering, not just for the Minnesota Vikings. But the season of Lent is about the suffering of Jesus, the care and the sacrifice of Jesus, even more than our own. We may give things up for Lent. You may not have had a Hershey's chocolate bar since March 2nd, but that's okay. When it really comes down to it, we consider the sacrifice that our Lord Jesus had, had, has made on our behalf, but also the very extreme and profound patience that he has for us. The parable of the fig tree should remind us that Jesus is the one doing all the work in our lives, but more importantly, that he has patience with us. We're all works in progress, and we continue to allow him to work on us. Amen.